has decided to invest in the Word of God. And when you think about our cause and what we are convicted and what we are passionate about is the Word of God. That's why we want to spend time studying His Word. That's why we gather around together singing praises and lifting up God for what He has given to us and that He has instructed us and He has not left us abandoned. So with that in mind, let's begin tonight with prayer. Lord our God, we come before you thanking you for your word that you have sent into all the earth. We know that your saving word is able to cut to the deepest parts of our very being that you sent forth into this earth from the very beginning that we may draw near to you so that we can know that you are our God. We thank you for loving us and we thank you for that love culminating into your son coming on this earth that word become flesh, so that we know that you care about us and that we have an example to follow. And I pray that you will help us to search you every single day. We thank you for the church that you bought with your son's blood, for redeeming us from our sins so that we may have life when this life on this earth is over. We pray all this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you still have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 30, I want to reflect just a little bit on the passage here, and we're going to go to a couple of other passages looking at and understanding the will of God and what He has given to us. When you think about the book of Deuteronomy, it's God and Moses reestablishing what they've already known together. I mean, you think about Moses receiving the Word of God on Mount Sinai. That awesome experience that they had there and how uh, they spent time together with God. And as they're about to come over through the promised land, they're standing there uh, ready to cross over the Jordan River. And they go through the entire law again. And God is telling Moses, I want you to remind them about what we have established together. I want you to remind them of the covenant. I want you to remind them of the promises I have made to them. And I want you to keep this commandment ever before you and before them. And then every step, every action, every thought is tied to my word. And God reminds them of that over and over again. I want you to go back to Deuteronomy 30 as we begin in verse 11 again. And I want you to focus on what God is saying here. It says, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. The commandment that I give to you is not too hard, and it's not too far off. And he goes through and he describes, look, it's not over there, it's not in heaven, it's not anywhere that's distant from you, but it's in your mouth, and it's on your heart. Essentially, it's who you are. In verse 14, but the, the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you can do it. You know, I think about Moses revealing his promise uh, that was given from God, taking this promise and revealing it to people. And he's telling them, look, we can do this together. We can live for God. You don't have to be overcome by the enemy. You don't have to be worried about what's going to happen next. Because remember, they're about to have this huge battle in front of them. They're about, to change, they're about to have a changing of the guard, and Joshua's going to come in in the very next couple of passages that Moses tells Joshua, look, I want you to take these people into the promised land. And you know what? They're going to get discouraged. You yourself are going to get discouraged that you're going to see this task set before you, and I don't want you to get brought down. I don't want you to think that it's an impossibility that you can go and do all the things that God has told you you can do. He says it is not far off. 
It's not too distant. The Word of God is in your mouth that you have spoken. It is on your heart that you can know the promises, that you can know what God is able to do. Therefore, do not be discouraged. And don't forget. Where you start in the book of Deuteronomy was in chapter 6 where he's giving them what we are familiar with. And he says, for there is one God. And before that, he says, hear, O Israel. But I want you to go to Deuteronomy 6, and I want you to see how he leads into those passages that we're familiar with. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he says, now this is the commandment. It's almost like bookends. When God speaks to them, he's going to remind them over and over again. He says, before we go through the commandment, let me tell you, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, it seems very simple that God says do this, and it makes sense that they would do it. I mean, it seems easy enough. If you do everything that I tell you to do, then you have blessings. If you don't do what I tell you to do, there's going to be cursings. But you go through the sad history of Israel, and you see the ebb and flow of their faith in God. And you see, and that's the key for understanding how we are to draw near to God and to please Him, that it's by faith. You see, the Israelites, they just saw the commandment of God as just something to follow, yet maybe they lost their faith in God. You know, I think about us losing our faith in God. All right, we know that we're supposed to trust Him in every single endeavor of our life, everything that we do. And faith is what allows us to comprehend what God wants from our lives. And you can read Hebrews chapter 11. You can see time after time that person by person, by faith, did what God required. And he gives all these examples outside of the law of how these people live by faith. When he comes to Noah, he says, this is what I want from you. And Noah builds a boat. He comes to Moses and he says, I want you to take my people. And he takes his people. He comes to Abraham and he says, offer your son. And he gets ready to offer his son. All these people do these things by faith because they believe that when God says something, that he's going to follow it through. And it's not just distant from us, but it is part of our very being. I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 31. In Jeremiah 30, uh, chapter 31, starting in verse 31, Jeremiah's reminding all the people about what God promised. In Jeremiah 31, verse 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin 
no more. I'd like to stop and think here for a minute. As Jeremiah is speaking on the behalf of God, he's saying, I'm going to establish a new covenant where it's going to be written on their hearts. And I think back of Deuteronomy 30 where God says, look, my my word is in your mouth and it is on your heart. What is different about the law of Moses and what we come to realize is the law of Christ? What's different from the law that God gave to them on Mount Sinai that he says, this is what I want you to follow, to when we get to the New Testament and you see the law of Christ? Is there a difference between the two? And what is the responsibility that is laid upon us when it comes to this new covenant that God has made? If the covenant and the law of God was just bound in a book, if it was just over there that you can go and learn about it, if it was distant and you had no real attachment, you just know that's just the law and that's just what we do. We just do those things and we live by them and that's just what it is. But when you come to have a faith in what God has said and you have written it on your heart, it becomes a part of your life and your very makeup of who you are. And the law of Christ is no longer bound in that law of Moses, but it is within us. And it actually controls everything about us. When we decide to take up the name Christian, it's not just a name that we get the stamp on ourselves and say, I'm a Christian and there's no other thing attached to it at all. The life of a Christian is looking like Christ in everything that we do. You see, the term Christian is a name that is given. When someone can look at you and say, you look like your Christ. You look like the one that you say that you're following. That says something about your convictions. That says something about your passion. That says something about your faith. You see, when we have faith in God, we will say, God, we'll do whatever you want and we'll look like what you want us to look like. And that is the Christian life. That's the life that we want to live. We want to take the commandments of God. We want to take the covenant of God and we want to write it on us. We want to make it a part of who we are so that everywhere that we go, that we take the word of God with us. And it's not something that we lay to the side as we walk out of the house. It's not something that we leave uh, in our pew as we uh, exit the auditorium. But it's something that we are in everything that we do down to the point that every thought is held captive to obey Christ. You see, when I think about God speaking to Moses and Moses speaking to the people and he's speaking of the the law of Moses and he says, it's not too hard for you to do. It's not too difficult. If the law of Moses with all of its burdensome commandments and you can see what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious rulers of the Jews, you see what they did to it, it looked like the word of God had become a burden to them that it was too challenging for anybody to accomplish, that it made it a dread, it made it a, a, something that nobody wanted to do because it was so burdensome that it actually led people away. And you can refer to Jesus in Matthew 23 where he speaks to those Pharisees and he says, you are making proselytes, you're making converts twice as more a member of hell than yourselves. He's saying you have gone above and beyond and when you convert somebody, you're making burdens and you're tying up things that are too difficult for them to bear. But that's never the way the word of God was meant to be lived. It's not supposed to be a burden that we say, man, I have to be a Christian today. I have to look like Jesus. i got to show somebody that I actually belong to God. 
That should never be our mentality. When we, if we ever get to that point, we really need to check up on ourselves. But I think sometimes by our actions, we may speak that. I think sometimes by our actions, we may not show that we are actually children of God with his commandments written on our hearts. See, Paul does a fantastic job writing for us, showing us how we are able to transition from the law of Moses to the law of Christ. In two books to refer to is one is Romans, and the next one is Galatians. If you want the summary of the summary of all those things, you need to read Galatians. He's able to condense it down with maybe a little less effort than what he did in the book of Romans. But I want us to go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Paul's built up his credentials for why he's an apostle, why he does the things that he does, why he looks a little different. And if any Jews try and question him, why don't you live by the law of Moses anymore? Why don't you, you teach the customs of Moses? Hey, he defends that and he says, I'm an apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can trace that down. He says, you know when I used to persecute the church from the very beginning, but Jesus showed himself to me. He appeared to me on the road to Damascus and I changed. And from there I went to Arabia. And from there I went to Jerusalem. And there I went to Damascus. And there I went to all parts of the world. And I've come to you so that you may know who Jesus is. He said, if you want to trace that down, you can see what I believe. But listen to what he says in chapter 2, starting in verse 15. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. So you think about what does it take to please God? If you were a Jew, you would trace that down and you say, when I do the commandments that Moses mentioned, we know this is what God wants and this is pleasing to him. Then you're going to do those things and say, and see, this is what God wants. He wants us to follow these things to a T. But if that was our way of thinking, that we can condense down what God wants just by those things and anything outside of that, we don't have to worry about. It's the equivalency of us laying our Christianity and our faith in God to the side and saying, I'm only going to pick that up certain times of the day. I'm only going to have to worry about serving God when it's nailed down exactly. That's not the law of faith. That's not what Christ is teaching us. Because you pick up in verse 17, he says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you pick up on what he says here? If you're going to nail down who Paul is, if you're going to nail down who our Christ, what our Christianity is, if you're going to nail down what the church is, you need to figure out who is Christ and what does he want. Think about the very purpose of Jesus coming to this earth. He fit all the criteria. He came in as a Jew. He came in under the law of Moses. He came in looking exactly like all of them, yet he was going to show them really what God wanted. 
when the word of God is enshrouded in flesh and dwells among people, he's able to tell them, here's what God wants and let me show you and let me tell you. And so he comes to the middle of all these Jews who had the oracles of God, had all these teachings, had the commandments, had been guided, had been instructed year after year, child after child, that they have passed down from this moment when Moses gave them the commandment. They've been teaching each other and they've been failing and they've been succeeding. They've been failing and succeeding over and over again where they know all these things. They have all the promises. They have all the prophecies. They have everything they need to know that Christ is coming on this earth. And he stands in front of them and they act in ignorance. The very people that had everything they ever needed to find out who Christ was, to find out that God is ready to make a new commandment, a new covenant with them, they take the Son of God and they put Him on a cross with the same law that He tried to nail to the cross. It's irony in its strictest. It's irony that Christ came to redeem them from the law and they used that law to try and punish Him. Yet His whole goal was to redeem them from it. To show them that law was meant to carry you over so that you can know you are to love God and you are to love your neighbor. The whole law, the whole prophet, all the commandments hang on those things that you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus comes to this earth, he fulfills that by loving God to the point of death, loving his neighbor to take on all of sin so that we can have eternal life. And what he requires of us is to die with him so that we may live with Him. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the life that we want to live. And as Paul continues to describe this, you get to chapter 5, and he says, starting in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, when we start talking about the Spirit of God, we get in an uneasy position because it's one of those things that there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of things that we're confused about that, that we don't understand exactly how it works. And if God wants us to know exactly how it works, then He would have told us. But what we can depend on is that we know that the Spirit of God is the very thoughts of God. It is His very being, and you have seen it from the beginning when it was over the face of the earth. And you've seen it instruct people. And you have seen it speak to people. And you have watched that path of the Spirit of God come through history. And you get to the New Testament and you realize that the Spirit of God is what God wants. It is His will. It is His desires. It's everything that He is. And when you realize that's what I want to live for, I want to live, I want my spirit within me, the the person that I am, to look like the Spirit of God. It's no longer my flesh at work then. I don't want to look like Billy. I want to look like Jesus. I want to be so intricately tied with God that I am one with him. He says in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirits, You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. Wow, Paul, can you give us a laundry list of all the things we shouldn't do? 
Man, Paul, you must be going back to the law. You must be going back to these 600 plus commandments. Why don't you just keep tacking something on for us to do? You're almost making Christianity seem like it's a burden to bear. Is that what you're trying to do, Paul? Are you trying to make it challenging for us? Because I thought we had freedom. I thought we had the ability to do whatever because we're in Christ. If that is our way of thinking, we have missed what it looks like to be a Christian and to follow after the Spirit of God. When he says we are being led by the Spirit of God, it's not where we lose all cognitive thought, where we lose all ability in ourselves, but we allow that to be our guide in everything that we do. And if you want to know that you look like Christ and you're actually living like Christ, you better check up on your fruit. You better check and see the things that you're producing around you look like God, because that's exactly where he goes next. In verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no, what? Law. Why would Paul say that? Against such things there is no law. See, like I said, under the law of Moses, they can nail it down. They say, you know what? God told me that I'm to love my neighbor, but I don't have to love my enemy. God told me not to commit adultery, but... The heart wants what the heart wants. You know, he told me not to commit murder, but anger's not murder. You see, if that was the way of thinking, they were able to sit the law of Moses and they say, this is all the things I'm supposed to do. Yet when we allow the law of Christ to reign in our lives, there are endless possibilities of how we may look like God everywhere we go. See, because Christ tells us that it's not just murder, it's the anger that's attached to it. It's not just adultery, it's the lust. It's not just the action, it's the heart that's tied to God. Because what was the promise that he made in Deuteronomy 30 and Jeremiah 31? What did he say about the law that we were going to have? Where was it going to be? In our mouth and on our heart. And when the people fell away from God, when Israel failed, it was because their heart failed them. Check that phrase, every time they fell away, it was because they allowed their heart to be turned away from God. But when our heart is directed towards the Father, when that is our priority in life, then we are going to be living for the Spirit. We're going to be living for God, and you're going to see those fruits that come from there. And against such things, there is no law. There are no bounds for how much that we can love one another. There's no bounds for how much we can love God. And he tells us, this is what I want. If you want to know how to please me, then I've given it to you. In verse 25, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. For this short amount of time tonight, I just wanted us to focus on what did Moses teach us? And really, what does, what does Christ compel us to do? You know, if it is our goal to look like Jesus, then we better look like him in every part of our life, from our heart to our actions. And I think it's time for us to do a checkup on ourselves to see, am I really in step with the Spirit? Am I really thinking the way that God thinks, or have I allowed my flesh to become priority? Because what does that look like in our lives when we stop living for God and we start, we stop living for God and we start living for ourselves? You find broken relationships. 
You find faith in possessions. You find joy in substances. You find bitterness. You find pain. You find tears. When we start living for ourselves and we go no higher than our flesh being our goal, you're going to find nothing but the lack of hope. But if we have faith in God and we want to live for God and we want to live for His Spirit and we want to do everything we possibly can, we're going to find life. We're going to find it more abundantly. And not just on this earth, but our home in heaven that we're striving for. Not that it may be based off of works, but that it may be based off of faith. That what God says is if you will live for me and my son, and you'll do the things I tell you, you die to yourself and you live for me, then you can live for all of eternity. That's the story. That's the goal. And so you may be asking yourself, well, how, how, do, I, how do I get to that point? How do I know that I have God? How can I know that I have Christ? How can I know that I have crossed from that living for me to, to dying and living for him? Paul answers it perfectly. In Romans chapter 6, he tells us, he says, you die to your sins, you are buried with Christ in baptism, and you rise up after being united with him into a new life. If you want to know when you die with Christ, it's actually when you die with Christ and you have faith in him and that you, you put all of your sin to the side and you are buried with Christ in baptism. And when you come up out of the water, you're no longer living for you. You live in a new life for God. But maybe you've already made that decision. Maybe you've already given yourself over to him and you, have, you know that you have stepped away and that you have started living for yourself. It's time for you to stop. And think the way that God thinks. To take every thought captive. To no longer be someone who just listens to the word, but a doer of the word. You can change your life. And if you're tired of working through this life alone, then you need the church. Same way that we need one another, we are the body of Christ, all striving to grow up to the head, which is Christ. Which is why we offer the chance to pray with you. To encourage you to study with you, to do whatever we can so that we can all think and have the same mind and the same hope and the same faith together, knowing that we all have eternal life together. If there's any way that we can help you, we ask that you come as we stand and as we sing.